Story seventeen of Strictly Business. More stories of the four million by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Story seventeen A Night in New Arabia. The great city of Baghdad on the subway is caliph ridden its palaces bazaars khans and byways are thronged with al rashids in divers disguises seeking diversion and victims for their unbridled generosity you can scarcely find a poor beggar whom they are willing to let enjoy his spoils unsuccored nor a wrecked unfortunate upon whom they will not reshower the means of fresh misfortune you will hardly find anywhere a hungry one who has not had the opportunity to tighten his belt in gift libraries nor a poor pundit who has not blushed at the holiday basket of celery crowned turkey forced resoundingly through his door by the alamosinary press so then fearfully through the haroon haunted streets creep the one-eyed calenders the little hunchback and the barber's sixth brother hoping to escape the ministrations of the roving horde of califoid sultans entertainment for many arabian nights might be had from the histories of those who have escaped the largesse of the army of commanders of the faithful until dawn you might sit on the enchanted rug and listen to such stories as are told of the powerful genie Rockefeller, who sent the forty thieves to soak up the oil plant of Ali Baba, of the good Caliph Carnegie, who gave away palaces, of the seven voyages of Sailbad, the sinner, who frequented wooden excursion steamers among the islands, of the fisherman in the bottle, of the Barmecides' boarding house of aladdin's rise to wealth by means of his wonderful gas meter but now there being ten sultans to one shahrazad she is held too valuable to be in fear of the bowstring in consequence the art of narrative languishes and as the lesser caliphs are hunting the happy poor and the resigned unfortunate from cover to cover in order to heap upon them strange mercies and mysterious benefits too often comes the report from arabian headquarters that the captive refused to talk this reticence then in the actors who perform the sad comedies of their philanthropy scourged world must in a degree account for the shortcomings of this painfully gleaned tale which shall be called the story of the caliph who alleviated his conscience old jacob spraggins mixed for himself some scotch and lithia water at his twelve hundred dollar oak sideboard inspiration must have resulted from its imbibition for immediately afterward he struck the quartered oak soundly with his fist and shouted to the empty dining-room by the coke ovens of hell it must be that ten thousand dollars if i can get that squared it'll do the trick thus by the commonest artifice of the trade having gained your interest the action of the story will now be suspended 
leaving you grumpily to consider a sort of dull biography beginning fifteen years before when old jacob was young jacob he was a breaker boy in a pennsylvania coal mine i don't know what a breaker boy is but his occupation seems to be standing by a coal dump with a wan look and a dinner pail to have his picture taken for magazine articles anyhow jacob was one but instead of dying of overwork at nine and leaving his helpless parents and brothers at the mercy of the union strikers reserve fund he hitched up his galluses put a dollar or two in a side proposition now and then and at forty-five was worth twenty million dollars there now it's over hardly had time to yawn did you i've seen biographies that but let us dissemble i want you to consider jacob spraggins esq after he had arrived at the seventh stage of his career the stages meant our first humble origin second deserved promotion third stockholder fourth capitalist fifth trust magnate sixth rich malefactor seventh caliph eighth x the eighth stage shall be left for the higher mathematics at fifty-five jacob retired from active business the income of a czar was still rolling in on him from coal iron real estate oil railroads manufactories and corporations but none of it touched jacob's hands in a raw state it was a sterilized increment carefully cleaned and dusted and fumigated until it arrived at its ultimate stage of untainted spotless checks in the white fingers of his private secretary jacob built a three million dollar palace on a corner lot fronting on nabob avenue city of new baghdad and began to feel the mantle of the late h a rashid descending upon him eventually jacob slipped the mantle under his collar tied it in a neat foreign hand and became a licensed harrier of our mesopotamian proletariat when a man's income becomes so large that the butcher actually sends him the kind of steak he orders he begins to think about his soul's salvation now the various stages or classes of rich men must not be forgotten the capitalist can tell you to a dollar the amount of his wealth the trust magnate estimates it the rich malefactor hands you a cigar and denies that he has bought the p d and q the caliph merely smiles and talks about hammerstein and the musical lasses there is a record of tremendous altercation at breakfast in a where-to-dine-well tavern between a magnate and his wife the rift within the lute being that the wife calculated their fortune at a figure of three million dollars higher than did her future divorcee oh well i myself heard a similar quarrel between a man and his wife because he found fifty cents less in his pockets than he thought he had after all we are all human count tolstoy r fitzsimmons peter pan and the rest of us don't lose heart because the story seems to be degenerating into a sort of moral essay for intellectual readers there will be dialogue and stage business pretty soon 
when jacob first began to compare the eyes of needles with the camels in the zoo he decided upon organized charity he had his secretary send a check for one million to the universal benevolent association of the globe you may have looked down through a grating in front of a decayed warehouse for a nickel that you had dropped through but that is neither here nor there the association acknowledged receipt of his favor of the twenty-fourth ult with enclosure as stated separated by a double line but still mighty close to the matter under the caption of oddities of the day's news in an evening newspaper jacob spraggins read that one jasper spargis had donated one hundred thousand dollars to the uba of g a camel may have a stomach for each day in the week but i dare not venture to accord him whiskers for fear of the great displeasure at washington but if he have whiskers surely not one of them will seem to have been inserted in the eye of a needle by that effort of that rich man to enter the k of h the right is reserved to reject any and all bids signed s peter secretary and gatekeeper next jacob selected the best endowed college he could scare up and presented it with a two hundred thousand dollar laboratory the college did not maintain a scientific course but it accepted the money and built an elaborate lavatory instead which was no diversion of funds so far as jacob ever discovered the faculty met and invited jacob to come over and take his a b c degree before sending the invitation they smiled cut out the c added the proper punctuation marks and all was well while walking on the campus before being captain gowned jacob saw two professors strolling nearby their voices long adapted to indoor acoustics undesignedly reached his ear there goes the latest chevalier de industry said one of them to buy a sleeping powder from us he gets his degree to-morrow in foro consciente said the other let's eve off a brick at him jacob ignored the latin but the brick pleasantry was not too hard for him there was no mandragora in the honorary draft of learning that he had bought that was before the passage of the pure food and drugs act jacob wearied of philanthropy on a large scale if i could see folks made happier he said to himself if i could see em myself and hear em express their gratitude for what i done for em it would make me feel better this donating funds to institutions and societies is about as satisfactory as dropping money into a broken slot machine so jacob followed his nose which led him through unswept streets to the homes of the poorest the very thing said jacob i will charter two river steamboats pack them full of these unfortunate children and say ten thousand dolls and drums and a thousand freezers of ice cream and give them a delightful outing up the sound the sea breezes on that trip ought to blow the taint off some of this money that keeps coming in faster than i can work it off my mind jacob must have leaked some of his benevolent intentions for an immense person with a bald face and a mouth that looked as if it ought to have a drop letters here sign over it hooked a finger around him 
and set him in a space between a barber's pole and a sack of ash cans words came out of the post office slit smooth husky words with gloves on em but sounding as if they might turn to bare knuckles any moment say sport do you know where you are at well this is mike o'grady's district you're buttin into see mike's got the stomach-ache privilege for every kid in this neighborhood see and there's any picnics or red balloons to be dealt out here mike's money pays for em see don't you butt in or something'll be handed to you used to settlers and reformers with your sociologies and your millionaire detectives have got this district in a hell of a fix anyhow with your college students and professors roughhousing de soda water stands and them rubberneck coaches filling the streets the folks down here are afraid to go out of the houses now you leave em to mike they belongs to him and he knows how to handle em keep on your own side of the town are you some wiser now uncle or do you want a scrap with Mike O'Grady for the Santa Claus belt in this district? Clearly, that spot in the Morrow Vineyard was preempted. So Caleb Spragans menaced no more people in the bazaars of the east side. To keep down his growing surplus, he doubled his donations to organized charity, presented the YMCA of his native town with a $10,000 collection of butterflies, and sent a check to the famine sufferers in china big enough to buy new emerald eyes and diamond-filled teeth for all their gods but none of these charitable acts seemed to bring peace to the caliph's heart he tried to get a personal note into his benefactions by tipping bellboys and waiters ten and twenty dollar bills he got well snickered at and derided for that by the minions who accept with respect gratuities commensurate to the service performed he sought out an ambitious and talented but poor young woman and bought for her the star part in a new comedy he might have gotten rid of fifty thousand dollars more of his cumbersome money in this philanthropy if he had not neglected to write letters to her but she lost the suit for lack of evidence while his capital still kept piling up and his opticos nidolorum camelibus or rich man's disease was unrelieved in caleb spragan's three million dollar home lived his sister henrietta who used to cook for the coal miners in a twenty-five cent eating house in coketown pennsylvania and who now would have offered john mitchell only two fingers of her hand to shake and his daughter celia nineteen back from boarding school and from being polished off by private instructors in the restaurant languages and those etudes and things celia is the heroine lest the artist's delineation of her charms on this very page humbug your fancy take from me her authorized description she was a nice-looking awkward loud rather bashful brown-haired girl with a sallow complexion bright eyes and a perpetual smile she had a wholesome spragans inherited love for plain food loose clothing and the society of the lower classes she had too much health and youth to feel the burden of wealth she had a wide mouth that kept the peppermint pepsin tablets rattling like hail from the slot machine wherever she went and she could whistle hornpipes keep this picture in mind 
and let the artist do his worst celia looked out of her window one day and gave her heart to the grocer's young man the receiver thereof was at that moment engaged in conceding immortality to his horse and calling down upon him the ultimate fate of the wicked so he did not notice the transfer the horse should stand still when you are lifting a crate of strictly new-laid eggs out of the wagon young lady reader you would have liked that grocer's young man yourself but you wouldn't have given him your heart because you are saving it for a riding master or a shoe manufacturer with a torpid liver or something quiet but rich in gray tweeds at palm beach oh i know about it so i am glad the grocer's young man was for celia and not for you the grocer's young man was slim and straight and as confident and easy in his movements as the man in the back of the magazines who wears the new frictionless roller suspenders he wore a gray bicycle cap on the back of his head and his hair was straw-colored and curly and his sunburned face looked like one that smiled a good deal when he was not preaching the doctrine of everlasting punishment to delivery wagon horses he slung imported a one fancy groceries about as though they were only the stuff he delivered at boarding houses and when he picked up his whip your mind instantly recalled mr tackett and his heir with the buttonless foils tradesmen delivered their goods at a side gate at the rear of the house the grocer's wagon came about ten in the morning for three days celia watched the driver when he came finding something new each time to admire in the lofty and almost contemptuous way he had of tossing around the choicest gifts of pomona series and the canning factories then she consulted annette to be explicit annette mccorkle the second housemaid who deserves a paragraph herself annette fletcherized large numbers of romantic novels which she obtained at a free public library branch donated by one of the biggest caliphs in the business she was celia's sidekicker and chum though aunt henrietta didn't know it you may hazard a bean or two oh canary bird seed exclaimed annette ain't it a corkin situation you're an heiress and falling in love with him on sight he's a sweet boy too and above his business but he ain't susceptible like the common run of grocer's assistants he never pays no attention to me he will to me said celia riches began annette unsheathing the not unjustifiable feminine sting oh you're not so beautiful said celia with her wide disarming smile neither am i but he shan't know that there's any money mixed up with my looks such as they are that's fair now i want you to lend me one of your caps and an apron annette oh marshmallows cried annette i see ain't it lovely it's just like lurline the left-handed or a buttonhole maker's wrongs i'll bet he'll turn out to be a count there was a long hallway or passageway as they called it in the land of the colonels with one side latticed running along the rear of the house the grocer's young man went through this to deliver his goods one morning he passed a girl in there with shining eyes sallow complexion and wide smiling mouth wearing a maid's cap and apron 
but as he was cumbered with a basket of early drumhead lettuce and trophy tomatoes and three bunches of asparagus and six bottles of the most expensive queen olives he saw no more than that she was one of the maids but on his way out he came up behind her and she was whistling fisher's hornpipe so loudly and clearly that all the piccolos in the world should have disjointed themselves and crept into their cases for shame the grocer's young man stopped and pushed back his cap until it hung on his collar button behind that's out of sight kid said he my name is celia if you please said the whistler dazzling him with a three-inch smile that's all right i'm thomas mcleod what part of the house do you work in i'm the the second parlor maid do you know the falling waters no said celia we don't know anybody we got rich too quick uh, that is mr spraggins did i'll make you acquainted said thomas mcleod it's a strathspee the first cousin to a hornpipe if celia's whistling put the piccolos out of commission thomas mcleod's surely made the biggest flutes hunt their holes he could actually whistle bass when he stopped celia was ready to jump into his delivery wagon and ride with him clear to the end of the pier and onto the ferry boat of the sharon line i'll be around tomorrow at ten fifteen said thomas with some spinach and a case of carbonic i'll practice that what you may call it said celia i can whistle a fine second the processes of courtship are personal and do not belong to general literature they should be chronicled in detail only in advertisements of iron tonics and in the secret bylaws of the woman's auxiliary of the ancient order of the rat trap but genteel writing may contain a description of certain stages of its progress without intruding upon the province of the x-ray or of park policemen a day came when thomas mcleod and celia lingered at the end of the latticed passage sixteen a week isn't much said thomas letting his cap rest on his shoulder blades celia looked through the lattice work and whistled a dead march shopping with aunt henrietta the day before she had paid that much for a dozen handkerchiefs maybe i'll get a raise next month said thomas i'll be around tomorrow at the same time with a bag of flour and the laundry soap all right said celia annette's married cousin pays only twenty dollars a month for a flat in the bronx never for a moment did she count on the spraggins money she knew aunt henrietta's invincible pride of caste and pa's mightiness as a colossus of cash and she understood that if she chose thomas she and her grocer's young man might go whistle for a living another day came thomas violating the dignity of nabob avenue with the devil's dream whistled keenly between his teeth raised to eighteen a week yesterday he said been pricing flats around morningside you want to start untying those apron strings and unpinning that cap old girl oh tommy said celia with her broadest smile won't that be enough i got betty to show me how to make a cottage pudding 
i guess we could call it a flat pudding if we wanted to and tell no lie said thomas and i can sweep and polish and dust of course a parlour-maid learns that and we could whistle duets of evenings the old man said he'd raise me to twenty at christmas if brian couldn't think of any harder name to call a republican than a postponer said the grocer's young man i can sew said celia and i know that you must make the gas company's man show his badge when he comes to look at the meter and i know how to put up quince jam and window curtains bully you're all right seal yes i believe you can pull it off on eighteen as he was jumping into the wagon the second parlor-maid braved discovery by running swiftly to the gate and oh tommy i forgot she called softly i believe i could make your neckties forget it said thomas decisively and another thing she continued sliced cucumbers at night will drive away cockroaches and sleep too you bet said mr macleod yes i believe if i have a delivery to make on the west side this afternoon i'll look in at a furniture store i know over there it was just as the wagon dashed away that old jacob spraggins struck the sideboard with his fist and made the mysterious remark about ten thousand dollars that you perhaps remember which justifies the reflection that some stories as well as life and puppies thrown into wells move around in circles painfully but briefly we must shed light on jacobs's words the foundation of his fortune was made when he was twenty a poor coal digger ever hear of a rich one had saved a dollar or two and bought a small tract of land on a hillside on which he tried to raise corn not a nubbin jacob whose nose was a divining rod told him there was a vein of coal beneath he bought the land from the miner for one hundred and twenty-five dollars and sold it a month afterward for ten thousand dollars luckily the miner had enough left of his sale money to drink himself into a black coat opening in the back as soon as he heard the news and so for forty years afterward we find jacob illuminated with the sudden thought that if he could make restitution of this sum of money to the heirs or assigns of the unlucky miner respite and nepenthe might be his and now must come swift action for we have here some four thousand words and not a tear shed and never a pistol joke safe nor bottle cracked old jacob hired a dozen private detectives to find the heirs if any existed of the old miner hugh macleod get the point of course i know as well as you do that thomas is going to be the heir i might have concealed the name but why always hold back your mystery till the end i say let it come near the middle so people can stop reading there if they want to after the detectives had trailed false clues about three thousand dollars i mean miles they cornered thomas at the grocery and got his confession that hugh macleod had been his grandfather and that there were no other heirs they arranged a meeting for him and old jacob one morning in one of their offices jacob liked the young man very much he liked the way he looked straight at him when he talked 
and the way he threw his bicycle cap over the top of a rose-colored vase on the center table there was a slight flaw in jacobs's system of restitution he did not consider that the act to be perfect should include confession so he represented himself to be the agent of the purchaser of the land who had sent him to refund the sale price for the ease of his conscience well sir said thomas this sounds to me like an illustrated postcard from south boston with we're having a good time here written on it i don't know the game is this ten thousand dollars money or do i have to save so many coupons to get it old jacob counted out to him twenty five hundred dollar bills that was better he thought than a check thomas put them thoughtfully into his pocket grandfather's best thanks he said to the party who sends it jacob talked on asking him about his work how he spent his leisure time and what his ambitions were the more he saw and heard of thomas the better he liked him he had not met many young men in baghdad so frank and wholesome i would like to have you visit my house he said i might help you in investing or laying out your money i am a very wealthy man i have a daughter about grown and i would like for you to know her there are not many young men i would care to have call on her i'm obliged said thomas i'm not much at making calls it's generally the side entrance for mine and besides i'm engaged to a girl that has the delaware peach crop killed in the blossom she's a parlor maid in a house where i deliver goods she won't be working there much longer though say don't forget to give your friend my grandfather's best regards you'll excuse me now my wagon's outside with a lot of green stuff that's got to be delivered see you again sir at eleven thomas delivered some bunches of parsley and lettuce at the spragans mansion thomas was only twenty-two so as he came back he took out the handful of five hundred dollar bills and waved them carelessly annette took a pair of eyes as big as creamed onion to the cook i told you he was a count she said after relating he never would carry on with me but you say he showed money said the cook hundreds of thousands said annette carried around loose in his pockets and he never would look at me it was paid to me to-day thomas was explaining to celia outside it came from my grandfather's estate say seal what's the use of waiting now i'm going to quit the job to-night why can't we get married next week tommy said celia i'm no parlor-maid i've been fooling you i'm miss spraggins celia spraggins the newspapers say i'll be worth forty million dollars some day thomas pulled his cap down straight on his head for the first time since we have known him i suppose then said he i suppose then you'll not be marrying me next week but you can whistle no said celia i'll not be marrying you next week my father would never let me marry a grocer's clerk but i'll marry you to-night tommy if you say so old jacob spraggins came home at nine thirty p m in his motor-car the make of it you will have to surmise sorrowfully 
i am giving you unsubsidized fiction had it been a street car i could have told you its voltage and the number of wheels it had jacob called for his daughter he had bought a ruby necklace for her and wanted to hear her say what a kind thoughtful dear old dad he was there was a brief search in the house for her and then came annette glowing with the pure flame of truth and loyalty well mixed with envy and histrionics oh sir said she wondering if she should kneel miss celia's just this minute running away out of the side gate with a young man to be married i couldn't stop her sir they went in a cab what young man roared old jacob a millionaire if you please sir a rich nobleman in disguise he carries his money with him and the red peppers and the onions was only to blind us sir he never did seem to take to me jacob rushed out in time to catch his car the chauffeur had been delayed by trying to light a cigarette in the wind here gaston or mike or whatever you call yourself scoot around the corner quicker than blazes and see if you can see a cab if you do run it down there was a cab in sight a block away gaston or mike with his eyes half shut and his mind on his cigarette picked up the trail neatly crowded the cab to the curb and pocketed it what the hell you doin yelled the cabman pa shrieked celia grandfather's remorseful friend's agent said thomas wonder what's on his conscience now a thousand thunders said gaston or mike i have no other match young man said old jacob severely how about that parlor-maid you were engaged to a couple of years afterward old jacob went into the office of his private secretary the amalgamated missionary society solicits a contribution of thirty thousand dollars toward the conversion of the koreans said the secretary pass em up said jacob the university of plumville writes that its yearly endowment fund of fifty thousand dollars that you bestowed upon it is past due tell em it's been cut out the scientific society of clam cove long island asks for ten thousand dollars to buy alcohol to preserve specimens waste basket the society for providing healthful recreation for working girls wants twenty thousand dollars from you to lay out a golf course tell em to see an undertaker cut em all out went on jacob i've quit being a good thing i need every dollar i can scrape or save i want you to write to the directors of every company that i'm interested in and recommend a ten per cent cut in salaries and say i noticed half a cake of soap lying in a corner of the hall as i came in i want you to speak to the scrubwoman about waste i've got no money to throw away and say we've got vinegar pretty well in hand haven't we the globe spice and seasons company said secretary controls the market at present raise vinegar two cents a gallon notify all our branches suddenly jacob spraggins's plump red face relaxed into a pulpy grin he walked over to the secretary's desk and showed a small red mark on his thick forefinger bid it he said darned if he didn't 
and he hadn't had the two three weeks jakey mcleod my celius kid he'll be worth a hundred millions by the time he's twenty-one if i can pile it up for him as he was leaving old jacob turned at the door and said better make that vinegar raise three cents instead of two i'll be back in an hour and sign the letters the true history of the caliph harun al-rashid relates that toward the end of his reign he wearied of philanthropy and caused to be beheaded all his former favorites and companions of his arabian nights rambles happy are we in these days of enlightenment when the only death warrant the caliphs can serve on us is in the form of a tradesman's bill end of story seventeen a knight in new arabia